everyone, and thanks for listening. This is episode 15 of The Minimal Pair. I'm Jean Dempsey, and this is Stephanie Axe. Hello. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Jean? I'm good. I'm excited that we're already on episode 15. It's been a slow summer, but now we're really cranking them out. That we are, and it is exciting. Very exciting. And uh, school's getting ready to start, so it's kind of a funny time to start, you know, getting more involved in the podcast, but when it rains, it pours. It does. And, you know, I feel like I'm more valuable when I'm actually, like, working and not, and not just sitting by the pool or reading for oh, fun or well, whatever. you. <laughs> so, yeah, so hopefully we'll have a more regular schedule kind of moving forward. Yeah, and I think, well, our topic for... For uh, the first segment, topics and language learning is what it means to always be on, and I think that that's kind of um, relevant to what we actually just said. Like, you know, when you're on, you're on, and when you're off, you're off. And if you're off all summer um, because you're not teaching, then it it can be kind of hard to focus on anything related to your job. So exactly, and then when you have to kind of turn it on when you come back in the fall, it kind of is like you're always on. For your class, for your students, you know, there's not always a, a break. No, um, it's a big take a deep breath and hold, hold your breath underwater for 16 weeks kind of thing. Exactly. So we're going to explore today kind of what that means to always be on and how we handle it and how maybe we do it well and how maybe we do it poorly. Um, but also just kind of go through some tips in terms of how can we stay on. So yeah, hopefully, um, you know, everybody will get a little something from it and be able to share some of their stories too. Yeah, and maybe we'll um, get everyone geared up to to get turned on. That's right. <laughs> so uh, what do we mean by on, Stephanie? Well, for me, on means, you know, kind of in teacher mode, able to kind of leave personal problems, illness, whatnot at the door so I can come in and do my job. And be effective at it, not just kind of float by with it. Right. So this is hard because we don't have the kind of job where um, we can kind of hide behind a com- computer screen all day. Like, not that we're not in our office for a period of time or at home doing grading, but there's a, there's just a significant amount of time where we're in front of a group of people and we can't let our emotions show, or at least can't let them distract from the task at hand. shouldn't let them. <laughs> Sometimes that's easier said than done. But yeah, so, you know, we, we are all human. We all go through the ups and downs of life. And, um, you know, maybe talking about this will kind of help people be able to kind of hang in there when they're having a rough time or if they're sick and they're expected to teach. So Yeah, so, so what yeah. can you give us an example of a time when it was really hard for you to stay on? Sure. Um, so, you know, one example that comes to mind is extremely sick, and I couldn't get a sub. And um, it was an important day for my class, so it was, I didn't really feel comfortable canceling the class. And so I went into the, the class, and as I was, like, up in front of everybody, it became clear pretty quickly to my students that I was not, you know, on few students were like, do you need to sit down? Because I was, I was sweating profusely. Um, I I was probably a little woozy, like a little shaky. And um, they were really genuinely concerned. And I felt bad that I kind of showed my hand and that, you know, yeah, I'm sick, but I'm still here teaching. Um, And so that would be definitely be one example. Yeah, I think that that could have been a, a real 
message to your students about your dedication and about the dedication that you expect from them. Not that we want people coming into class when they're violently ill, but, you know, I remember a student of Nancy's who um, couldn't come to class because she was having female problems, which, frankly... Uh, get it together. Yeah, all the ladies <laughs> get, have it. Get yeah. to class. Like, right. You know, so um, you kind of have to tough things out. And I've, I've also had that experience where I've been sick um, and had to to stay on because, like, like you said, I couldn't get a sub or maybe I couldn't afford to miss that many days of class because, you know, adjuncts, we don't get paid if we're not there. And so it's tough and it's really tough and... Um, you're, it's almost like a vicious cycle. You go in when you're sick, and then you get more sick, and then you kind of have to know when to, to maybe press pause. <laughs> exactly. And I think that we all think about how limited our time is with students. And so already we feel a little bit crunched in terms of like covering a certain amount of material and you know making sure students get it. And so I think for me personally, I sometimes get a little bit of guilt if I am not able to make class, which I missed my first class spring semester because I had a really bad stomach bug and it was just impossible for me to make it. And I I do feel like it set a tone that was different than maybe other semesters had um, kind of been set. So, so yeah, I mean, I think as teachers, we want to do our best, but sometimes we do have to push that pause button and spare everybody else our... uh, issues. Exactly. Another uh, time that comes to mind for me is when we were at TESOL this spring. Um, You know, we both flew to Portland pretty much straight from class Mm -hmm. um, on Wednesday and then went to the conference on Thursday and Friday and and then you went on Saturday. I had some family in town, so so I got a little bit of a break, but then it was back to, to school I flew back on Monday and had to be back in the classroom on Tuesday, and it was like, that was, um, you know, a, a good 12-day stretch of just thinking about ESL right. through a week of class and then the conference and then another week of class. I was, um, that was hard to keep it on. Yeah, you didn't even get a chance to do your laundry. No, but I shouldn't complain because I did get to see my family. That's right, you did, you did. So, so yeah, I mean, that definitely is a time when we were kind of on quite a bit. Even though we did let loose a little bit a few times while we were too solid, we had some good time. Details not disclosed. Exactly. So what happens in Portland stays in Portland. It did not involve voodoo donuts and Paul books, I'll just say that. Not at all. Not <laughs> at all. So yeah, and, and I think too another thing to touch on or when you're having maybe personal issues, like with your family, um, death in the family could be an example. You know, I mean, sure we take time off to go and you know, go to funerals and whatnot, but just because you're no longer at the funeral doesn't mean that you're not grieving or struggling with what's happening, Um, and so that can really kind of weigh on you long-term, and if you're expected to be on and answer all of these questions when really you'd rather be balled up in your bed just kind of dealing with life, you know, that that can definitely wear on a teacher. Absolutely. I know um, I had a time without without going too much into it where I was going through a hard time in my personal life and having some problems with friends and it was a struggle to get into the classroom and put a smile on my face and I had to cry it out a bit in the office before <laughs> I went to class. Yeah. And I'm not ashamed to admit it because, like you said, we're human. We are human and so sometimes, you know, those personal things 
really are a big deal for us. And I mean, I've certainly been dealing with my own personal situations um, over the last couple of years that have kind of put me in a position where I feel like I have to be on and, you know, always, always in front of students put up a front where maybe I'm not feeling so great, you know, behind that exterior. So, um, you know, we all have to do it. And I think if we can recognize that in each other, maybe we could support each other a little more too. And I know that that we do support each we other. We do. And Gina's, I'm grateful. Yes, I'm very grateful. Without going into too many details, Gina's come through for me more than once in terms of like giving me some support, helping me get through a rough time, especially, you know, as colleagues. So Podcast Gina. hug. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So um without without uh, prolonging the point too much, let's share some tips with sure. our Listeners, um, I think that everyone can identify with the situations that we've discussed. So we have some uh, little takeaway messages for you. Um, how do we stay on in challenging situations? Right. I think one thing that's really helped me is just kind of stopping for a second, taking a deep breath, maybe even doing some meditation to take it you know, a step further. But just kind of taking a minute to recognize I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'm upset you know let's take a deep breath and and go from there take it minute by minute yeah I think um, that seems like such a simple bit of advice but if you're feeling really frazzled and you're not feeling well and stressed and then you're in class and students are being really needy or whatever and if you can just take a deep breath before you respond you really increase your chances of responding in a more professional way exactly because you know students are going to interpret your response even though it may have nothing to do with them they're going to interpret it you know as something to do with them exactly and you know once it's out there you can't really control how that student feels or what they think so yeah it's a good idea to just take that breath uh some more advice would be to set the metaphorical timer you know you're in class for a certain amount of time and if you can just um, sort of set the timer for that hour or two hours or whatever it is, um, it can really change your mindset about getting through. Because instead of being on, you know, all night, you're like, okay, I'm just gotta be on for a couple more hours, and then I can go home and lay on the couch and watch yeah. Breaking Bad, eat my ice cream, and, <laughs> <laughs> and wallow. Yeah, I mean, I and I think telling yourself that is really key. Like, okay, if I can just make it these 50 minutes or two hours um, that really can help you get through and, and you may start watching the clock and you know sometimes you just have to do that but and if you need to break it into smaller sections like make it through this next 30 minutes and then you only have 30 more minutes and and then you get through that 30 minutes and you're like okay now 30 more minutes and then I'm done and it it seems less daunting and I think it makes it easier to compartmentalize, too, to say, you know what, I love teaching, I'm here for a reason, and I know that things are crummy in my life and other places, but I'm here to teach, and I, I do love doing it, so I'm going to compartmentalize, and for the next however long, this is what I'm doing. Um, and so, yeah, I think having that boundary of, of time can be helpful. Uh, and our next... Advice is fake it till you make it. <laughs> okay, so you're in class, you don't feel well, you don't want to be there, but guess what? You don't have a choice. So 
you grit your teeth and you get through it and you put on a happy face because uh, the only thing that can make that kind of situation worse is if your mood rubs off on the students. So um, you really have to, in some cases, being being a teacher is being a good actor or actress because you really do have to, to fake it until the class is over. I'm glad you said that about your mood rubbing off on the students. I have found many times the student's mood has actually rubbed off on me Definitely. and kind of helped to get me through. Um, last semester, one of my classes, every person in that class was just delightful. And it, it came at a great time because I you know, had had kind of a difficult semester, but after that class, every time, I felt better. I didn't feel as, like, as though I wanted to just run to my car and just kind of hide. I, they really made me feel better. And so sometimes, Baking it till you make it might be, you know, looking around for inspiration too to, to kind of lighten your mood. Right. Um, and then remember that you're human and remember that your students know that you're human, right. you know. So, right. um, and I guess what, what I think of when I, when we come to this bit of advice is not just to remember that you're human, but to be honest about it. If you're not feeling well, just you know, without going into too much detail, let your class know, hey, I'm not feeling well. And then they know, like, oh, it's nothing personal. She's not mad at us. Um, you know, she's only human. People right. feel sick sometimes. No big yeah. deal. Yeah. And that kind of can help you cover up, like, if you forget to pass back papers or, you know, forget to do something in class, which some- can happen when you're already feeling crummy. It's know, kind of like being on the offense instead of on the defense. Mm-hmm. Don't wait until they notice that something's wrong and then get defensive, just be upfront about it. Look, yeah. I'm not feeling great, so be patient. And uh, if you guys can help me get through this class, maybe we'll go 15 minutes early. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the next one would be um, call in reinforcements, which I think I do that with Jean a lot. <laughs> Even if it's just to vent about how you're feeling or how maybe, you know, you're not in a te- in teacher mode that day um, or asking for help in other ways. I think it's important to call on your colleagues and um, allow them to call on you and it kind of builds that uh, environment where people feel like they trust each other and can help each other out. Yeah, and I think, well, when, when Stephanie and I first became friends, we were sharing an office and we both... Um, well, I guess I was just getting back from class and you were getting ready to go, but anyway, we would we would kind of get all that out, and now we don't. And I know last semester I was in the office all by myself. I don't understand how that would happen because I know there's several adjuncts and we're all competing for the same office, so I don't know how I got so lucky, but I was in there all by myself. So then it became even more important to, to call on reinforcements and um, you know have a ladies' night or just call you down to the tutoring office and step outside for a minute to vent while I regrouped. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it can take many forms, like you said, you know, calling somebody up, going to, you know, outside of their class or tutoring office. And I think it really, you just have to kind of break down that wall. It can, it may feel like you're really putting yourself out there and being vulnerable, but what I've found anytime I've opened up to another teacher is that they have similar feelings as I do. They have been through it before or fear it for themselves in the future. And um, I would say pretty much always people have been very kind and understanding and it's built our relationship rather than taken away from it. Definitely. 
And our last takeaway message is don't be afraid to say no. That's correct. So know your limit and don't go beyond it. If you're not feeling well and um, you know, you've done everything that you can to get through class, you took a lot of deep breaths, you set the timer, you faked it till you make it until <laughs> you make it. <laughs> you just did everything that you could, okay? And then class is over and students are flooding you with questions and wanting to know if you can do this and that. And don't be afraid to say no and look, I'm not feeling well. Can we talk about this before class next time? Yeah, I have I have done that before. You know, I've asked them, is this a pressing priority for you right now? Is this something that we have to handle right now? And I think it also helps them kind of learn how to prioritize things in college, especially if, you know, they're first-time college students. Um, but it also helps them understand that just because something's an emergency for them or it feels immediate for them, it doesn't necessarily make it everybody else's emergency. So I do think that that's important. So. Excellent. So hopefully these little little hints have helped a bit. And if you have any advice for us, please chime in. Yeah. Or if you just need to unload. Yeah. Let us know. We're happy. We will be your reinforcements. Yeah. We're, we don't Vent mind. to us via Virtually email. unloading. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. For today's methodology segment, we're going to talk about breathing new life into a course. And so this is in keeping with our kind of theme for the episode of uh, schools getting ready to start and we're getting geared up, getting turned on, getting ready. So um, breathing new life into a course is something that needs to be done every once in a while. And why is it necessary? Exactly. I have, I'm finding, um, you know, as I teach this one particular course multiple times, um, you know, I kind of fall back into those same habits, the same type of assignments, the same patterns in terms of when we do what. And um, one thing I've, I learned in the spring, because I had this particular class in the spring, they were really advanced, like the, pretty much the whole class. They were a lot higher level than what I'm usually used to walking into. And so I had to change it up. And so then it kind of opened that door of like, well, I could possibly start changing things up on a more regular basis. Um, and it also kept me fresh and I felt like I did different activities than I normally would do. So that's one reason I think it's necessary is because it adapts to what the students may need. All right. And I had um, a semester, well, I had a class last semester that just didn't go smoothly and there were a lot of factors that played into it. Uh, certainly the class uh, was one, the students themselves were not as high as I would have hoped, um, or as talkative. <laughs> um, and then there was the fact that it was spring, so we had Martin Luther King Day and President's Day and spring break, and then we had, I think, three snow days, so we got behind. But uh, all of this to say that the class ended up just not going how I wanted it to, and I decided that I was going to be proactive this time around and make some changes. So I've sort of restructured the class and um, I'm going to do things a little bit differently in order to encourage more active participation and, um, and just to get the students more involved because right. I think that's, that's what the big problem was. They weren't involved, so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that that, that is, shows that you're a wise teacher is that you're able to adapt to what those students needed, whether or not they knew that they needed those things. Well, um, you know, not that I don't think that I'm wise, Stephanie, thank you for <laughs> noticing, but 
Uh, unfortunately, I didn't do enough to adapt at the time. And, and it ended up fine, like it wasn't a cat catastrophic um, semester. Plenty of people ended up passing and it ended up being okay. Um, Everybody lived. Everyone lived. <laughs> I lived. Fantastic. <laughs> but um, so how do you know it's time to switch up a class? Well, I think, you know, I don't know that last semester would have been the time because you certainly don't want to restructure a class in the middle of the semester. So yeah, it's too bad for those students who didn't get to benefit from the changes that I made, um, especially when they were the ones who inspired the changes and really needed it. But you have to recognize that you can do more harm than good when you try to make huge changes in the middle of a semester. Yeah, I think that that maybe is a good uh, way to differentiate it is is it something that's totally restructuring the class? Or maybe on a more micro level, I'm, I've decided to do this particular assignment differently. So one example for me, um, a couple of semesters ago, one of the classes I teach, there's always a memo assignment where people introduce themselves to the rest of the class by writing a memo. Well, the idea of a memo is kind of outdated. And um, I mean, people don't really write memos now, they write emails or blogs or something. And so um, I did change that. I mean, we had the same general idea in terms of, um, you know, what we were doing. It was the, it served the purpose of introducing ourselves to the rest of the class, but we did it in a different way where we set up a blog in Blackboard and everybody kind of introduced themselves that way. And they were supposed to um, give feedback to the other students and kind of interact in that way. So it, it that was kind of breathing new life into the same old um, assignment. assignment. Mm -hmm. So you, I think if you feel like you're looking at your class and people are not responding to what you're doing or it's just a different dynamic, I think that would be one way you could breathe new life in kind of on the fly without having to wait for the next semester. But I think you're right. Like if it's the whole structure of the class, that's not something that you can necessarily just disrupt and move things around. and. Whatnot. Exactly. So um, that kind of brings us to the next point and what you, the next two points really, what, what should you do and what should you not do? Well, um, what you should do is make sure that the time is right uh, to make this kind of change and then don't change everything. So um, in my case, I, I am trying to restructure the whole course, but I'm not going to change everything because then I'm in a position where um, it's almost like teaching a new class and I always feel like when I'm teaching a class for the first time that maybe students aren't getting as much out of it as they would if they took it the next semester. So I don't want to change so much that um, it's kind of chaos, you know. I want to leave a few things in there that I know work, that I can fall back on, feel comfortable with, and then um, focus more on the problems. Right. And I think also in what you should do is you should ask yourself, am I doing this because I'm personally bored with it? Or am I doing it for the good of the class and, and the benefit of the student? I think that's a big question because, um, and I've, I've read articles about kind of like the ego of a teacher. You know, are you doing things to be up in front of the class performing for them versus giving them what they really need? Well, so, in my case, I'm putting them up in front of the class to perform for me. So um, the they were just... The old journal assignments weren't working and I really think that it was boring for them and frankly boring for me so it was a little bit of both but um, 
So yeah, I'm trying to, to restructure that a little bit. But I agree, you need to recognize when you're doing something to benefit yourself and right. when is it for the students. And sometimes I think it is okay to benefit yourself because if you're driving yourself crazy because you have 30 journals in a semester that you're trying to grade and get back to students in a timely manner, I mean, that's not giving your best to the students, even though right. the big problem is for you. I mean, it's still a problem for them. So I think you do have to weigh it, you know, if it's causing you so much agony then it may not be what's best for the students. But I do think that that question of, you know, will doing this improve the students' um, experience and their understanding and comprehension, so. Exactly. Um, so that kind of covers both what you should do and what, what you should not do. Do you have any other pointers for things that you should not do in your experience? Well, I mean, I, t- I tend to just kind of, I'm at my best whenever I'm kind of like, winging it to be honest um so I don't know that I have like a lot of should not do I'll try anything once but what I would not do is like you said kind of that whole big structural change of the entire class but I'll try anything once and and try to really be tuned into how the students are responding and if they're um if they're getting it or not but yeah for me I think that's probably like my my limitation on the should nots right and then um, you need to find out whether the changes that you made worked or didn't work. And if they didn't, then that would be a should not do for the following semester. Right. So how can you tell if something worked or not? Well, I mean, we touched on this in the past where, um, you know, maybe the test was too long or, you know, mm-hmm. and students weren't completing everything in time. I think that's one way to, to look to see um, their completion amounts and how quickly they're able to complete something. Um, for me, that would that would be one way to gauge it. Another would be, um, you know, if students are seem enthusiastic about what you're doing. I mean, they're not gonna be enthusiastic about everything, but for me, um, I feel like students don't learn as much if they're not engaged. So that would be another thing that I would kind of look at. How about you? So just real quick, the episode that Stephanie was referencing was episode eight, um, and that's when we talked about tests and how do you know if they went as planned and writing prompts that were too difficult or tests that were too long and whatnot. So if you want more on that, go back and listen to episode eight, the little episode that could. That's right. <laughs> Don't remember why we called it that, but it's cute. Well, because it took forever to get uh. it. To get it uh, edited. Okay. I remember that much. I don't remember the episode number, but I remember that uh, it was not fun from my end to well, edit I'm it. I'm sure you did a great job. Um, but yeah, I think you you pretty much hit the nail on the head with what how you know whether something worked or didn't. Um, it's basically it's instinct. Um, you know, you can look at things like did students' scores go up from last semester? Um, how was their overall performance? Was attendance better? You know, like all of these things indicate whether they're liking the class or not because if they're not coming and then all of a sudden they are, then maybe they're more interested. And if they're doing better, then something must have helped. So right. I think it's kind of um, intuitive. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You have to kind of read between the lines with some students on that. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, I think breathing new life into a course um, is something we all could consider more. Um, it's not something we always do because we get so busy and caught up, especially at the beginning of the semester, trying to just kind of like get our, our syllabi done and make sure that 
things are going the way that we need them to go. Get our copies to the copy center. And more on that in segment three when we talk about getting ready for a new semester. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, so we hope that as you're heading toward a new semester, you're able to kind of breathe some new life into your course. while but we are going to have adjunct antics again for this episode um, because we're going to talk about getting ready for a new semester and the things that we're discussing certainly aren't limited to adjuncts but I think that they're exacerbated a little bit with adjuncts because our situations are so unstable yeah yeah everything is so tentative when you're an adjunct especially at the beginning of the semester so I think it's worth kind of diving in taking a look and commiserating a little bit on it we're calling in support. We are basically yes. venting. No. <laughs> um, it is hard. Uh, I know that for just for an example, classes start for us in just a few days on Monday. Today is Wednesday. <laughs> um, so probably by the time this episode hits iTunes, we'll be in class and you can be thinking of us listeners. That's right. Um, but I still don't know what my schedule is. <laughs> um, I know what classes I'm teaching at one of my schools but it's still kind of up in the air at the other school. And of course that school then affects the first one because I also try to get some tutoring hours. And so it's just, it's all up in the air right now. And that's really stressful for me because um, like I said, just a couple of days and I'll be in there. Right, yeah, it's, it's nice to have things kind of lined up at least a week in advance, I think would be reasonable. But yeah, I mean, I'm dealing with a very similar type of scheduling situation as well and you know I'm working on two different campuses this semester and and one of the places is a new campus for me and so you know it it just coordinating between the two is it's a challenge and it definitely has me unclear of exactly what my semester will look like even though it starts in you know just a few days and it's hard too when when schedules don't align um, at both campuses and I guess by schedules I actually mean calendars Um, because at the one school where I'm working classes start on Monday and at the other school it's a week from Monday so they don't probably feel the pressure that I feel to get my schedule worked out because they have a whole week and a half yeah I will say the flip side of that though I feel like I'm not just diving right in that is nice and I have it all staggered out so I don't have to stress about everything right now I can just stress about the schedule and getting stuff done for that first round of classes yeah I don't mind when the start date is a little staggered what I what I don't like is when your spring breaks don't line up (laughs) that is a bummer and a half yeah I've been there so yeah so another issue that I personally am dealing with and I was just exchanging emails with the coordinator about is waiting for classes to make my pronunciation class which I feel like this semester I've come up with a lot of great ideas for it. She's breathed new life into it, folks. I have breathed new life into it. And I'll give you an example of how, um, because it's kind of a, I think it's a neat example. Um, here in St. Louis, we're celebrating the 250-year anniversary of when St. Louis was started. And um, to do that, they had a lot of artists put together these these cakes that are like three feet high, I guess. Um, and then they've put all of these cakes at different St. Louis institutions, like the St. Louis Arch or a lot within Forest Park and places that are really well known in St. Louis. And so 
Um, one of the things that we typically do in the pronunciation class is to give pre a presentation on something about St. Louis to try to teach students, give them a cultural bonus um, about, you know, where they've moved and where they live. And so I, I came up with Nancy about, for this great idea to incorporate the cakes and they have to go see the cake and do some research while they're there. And um, now my class is probably not going to make. Yeah. But do not despair, folks. I'm stealing her idea and using it in my class. So the idea will go to good use. Yeah, good for you, Jean. I, I, want, I want the copyright. <laughs> uh, these are not real cakes, too, by the way. They're people. not. But, you know, you could actually even ask students to bring in real cakes. That would be that fun. Would be I always like having yeah. cake in class. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe my mantra today is make for the cake mm. for my pronunciation class. But I don't think it's going to make, so... Which that means then less money for me, unless I can get a class somewhere yeah, else, get some classes rolling somewhere else. But yeah, um, so that can be really stressful to kind of figure out, okay, how much am I going to be making and what's that going to look like? Uh, so, so yeah, keep your fingers crossed for me. But and what, what this kind of boils down to is our next issue, which is last minute changes. Stephanie's been planning on teaching this class all summer and now maybe she's not going to and no one likes to be caught off guard like that at the last minute. Um, and I'm dealing with that with some scheduling things also. Um, a class that I am, that I knew I was going to teach and didn't know what time and now it could be this time or it could be this time or it could be this day at a different time. And um, so I don't like this, um, this last minute change of not knowing when it is going to be. Right, and I think that that's, in being an adjunct, part of the, the challenge with that is that you don't have input or control on that, really. Um, where maybe if you were full-time, you would be able to kind of give some insight or input in terms of like what would work best for you or for the program, but you know, here we're just kind of waiting to hear what's going on, so. Right, and I remember one semester, um, where to combine both of the things that we just talked about, classes making and last minute changes, I had a class that didn't make and I got a different class. So in that respect, I was really fortunate because I was going to get paid the same amount. But here I was teaching a new class that I had never taught before and had less than a week to prep for. So right. um, no one likes that. Right. So what about, you know, spending this time creating a syllabus and schedule? Well, funny you should mention that because as you were arriving this morning to record, I was completely changing around a syllabus that I had spent a week preparing um, for a class that I taught many times before. And this is the class that we spoke of earlier when I talked about um, making some changes. And so I had really put a lot of time into making this syllabus and schedule. And then um, one of the other teachers of a different section emailed me her syllabus and schedule and she was starting with a different book that was easier and I kind of, that made me um, second guess my plan and think that maybe I should start with this book that's easier. So um, I, I breathed life into this class a couple times over the past couple weeks. <laughs> I, I planned it and then I replanned it and now I think it's good to go, but we still have a couple days, so who knows? Who knows, things could change. Um, one thing I'll say for the, the campus where I'm going to be new, um, Typically, what seems to happen there, if I understand correctly, is that, you know, a couple of people plan for all of the sections of the same class. So they'll put together the syllabus and then you kind of work from that. 
And so on the one hand, it's kind of awesome because I'm not stressing about it um, in terms of like, oh, I have to have it done. I just am waiting for someone else to finish it. But on the other hand, when you're new, it's harder to wrap your head around, okay, what is this class? What needs to be done? How am I going to do it? How are we going to get there? And so that kind of presents a challenge because, you know, I'm going to be working off of someone else's. Yeah, I don't think I can do that. Yeah, so we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm trying to see the positive in that, you know what, I could be creating four different syllabi right now and I'm only reviving the two of classes that I've taught before. So, I mean, it's eliminated a lot of extra work for me. But, um, yeah, we'll see how well I, I dive in and, and pick up someone else's uh, plans. We'll see. Um, that kind of brings us to the next issue, which is gathering materials. And certainly the syllabi and schedule could count as materials because, in your case, you're waiting for them to be finished. So right. um, not having that control over your teaching materials is frustrating. And, and another example that comes to mind is, you know, not having the textbook until the last minute. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's nothing worse than having to plan a class and make a syllabus around a textbook that you haven't seen yet. So, right. Or even a new version of that, of the textbook that you have All seen. the pages are off. Half the pages yeah. are wrong and maybe they use different examples. Uh, yeah, I mean, that can be definitely be um, a big challenge. And, and I'll speak to um, a semester or two ago, um, in a class that I taught where everybody, it was kind of the opposite situation where everybody was kind of on their own. And so even if you were adjunct, you were expected to basically create the course from scratch, come up with your own reading materials, and they weren't allowed to be from the same book. So um, I felt a little stressed because I was coming, I had to come up with about 15 different readings surrounded um, around the topic of education. And so that for me was a little bit um, stressful because of course you don't just read 15 articles and those are the 15 you use. You have to kind of have a little bit of discerning taste in terms of does this work for the class and, and what's the flow going to be. And so as an adjunct, you're not really getting paid to do that. You're gathering all of this stuff and do, putting all of this work into something um, and you're, you haven't received a paycheck yet and you won't probably for another month or so. So that can be... Um, you know, something that kind of stings a little bit when you have to do that, and it's certainly a challenge. But it does, on the positive side, give you more control over what you're doing in your class. So in that way, it's certainly positive. Yeah. Um, and then I can't really speak to this because it's been a while since I've started at a new school, but Stephanie, you're getting ready to. And um, just thinking back to when I did start at my second school, um, I have to say it wasn't that big of an adjustment because both schools use Blackboard, um, but the email system was different, and you know, I, I the ID numbers and just getting used to all of these little uh, bookkeeping things. Right. I mean, for me, um, at my new location, it's been tra- just getting into HR has been a bit of a challenge um, because things are done differently for adjuncts versus full-time faculty versus staff. So that's been a little bit of a challenge and I don't even know that I've signed a contract yet because you know it's still just kind of all floating around. Um, so that's been a challenge and then using the Blackboard system and just you know figuring that out and, and figuring out phones and where to get my ID and, and everything. And, and that can just really add a lot of extra tasks when you're already trying to get things ready. So maybe it is a good thing that they're working on my syllabi for me. 
Yeah, you. That's now I can focus on, on the right side on the things I need to focus on. But also, there's a um, there's a test that all the students have to take, and I don't know anything about the test. But one of my classes, students will be taking the test mid semester, and so I have to really learn about it because they're going to have questions, and I have to make sure that I cover certain things in my class to, that go along with this test, and so that's another system that I have to learn is kind of how to adapt to what's happening with this test. So I have that as well. A lot on your plate. A lot of change. A lot on your plate and none of it's cake. No, it's not. But I'm an extraordinary machine, so <laughs> I handle change well. Good. Um, so that, that kind of brings us to uh, the end, but we do have some shout outs. Um, for all program coordinators and department secretaries, because if this is a stressful time for us, we know it's even more stressful for you because you're having to figure all of this out for us. Keep it together, that's right. And for adjuncts, of course. Um, and then we have a special shout out to Julie Heyer. Um, Stephanie, you wanna explain why? Yes, because very early on in the Minimal Pair podcast, um, Julie was a big supporter. She thought it was really neat. She showed a lot of enthusiasm that Jean and I were taking on this endeavor. And um, you know, she asked a lot of questions about it. And then one day, I think it was probably around our second episode, I think that's when we started saying it, but um, as I was leaving the office, she's like, hey, Stephanie, keep it minimal. And I was like, oh, I'm using that. Because a slogan was born. That's how our slogan came into play. And so we really owe Julie a lot for that because I feel like it's added a little bit of cohesion to our podcast that maybe wouldn't have been there otherwise. So thank, thank you, Julie. Julie. So, all right. Well, we want to thank you too for listening. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us at um, theminimalpair at gmail.com or on Twitter at theminimalpair. Um, also, we have a Facebook page, so definitely check us out and like us there. And until next time, keep it minimal.